The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today we're looking at the financial sector. We're drilling down into a specific area, which is banking super apps. Now, these essentially are apps which do have everything in one place. That can be spending, saving, investing. They're driven by artificial intelligence. Um, so they are the next big thing in the world of finance. Joining us now is the CEO of Doe, Andy Taylor. Now, the ASX code is DOU, the market cap at the time of recording, around about $27 million Aussie dollars. Andy, welcome. Good to have you with us again. Uh, no, thanks for having me. Now, Andy, tell us a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today, because I've looked back on your career and you started off in sales. Oh, a long time ago now, but uh, yeah, no, look, I've, I've always been in B2B sales and um, very passionate about the internet from a very early age. And I guess, you know, doing a few businesses on the side, um, I've always had this entrepreneurial drive to really be a uh, create new services for consumers and, and bring into the world, but it it it's, uh, it was a journey around B two B sales, moving into agency side, uh, working with big brands, creating campaigns that got me the real insight and excitement around the internet, especially back in the two thousand four, the early days of Web two point and um, understanding search engine optimization, search engine marketing, and what it took to build successful websites. Um, really gave me the confidence, I guess, to step step into the client side, if you like, and start building uh, start building products. So, um, lots of trials and tribulations along the way, but um, it's been it's been an exciting journey. I think that is an entrepreneur's journey, isn't it? Um, with lots of trials <laughs> and tribulations uh, along the way, when you start a company. Now, you have started a couple of companies successfully, exited them. Um, tell us, what do you think is the most important quality that you have that makes you a successful entrepreneur? Uh, I think it's resilient, um, to be honest. Uh, the entrepreneurship game is a lonely one. It's a it's a tough one. I certainly wouldn't recommend anyone to do it. <laughs> uh, I think you need to be a little bit crazy to enter into it because it, it really is pretty tough. Um, and I think especially, you know, operating in a market like Australia and New Zealand where capital's it's hard to come by, uh, you know, and in small small country. The it's not really conducive mindset. I don't believe to fostering innovation and you know pursuing entrepreneurialism. So I think it's very different to the American culture that that we all know. But um, you know, one thing I've learned about myself is mental resilience and believing in what you're building and that you're actually building something that's adding value is, is super critical to success, but obviously finding the right funding is also super critical to that success. And and is this why you started Doe? I mean, when, when you looked at mm. what was out there and what was needed, what, what, what drove you to start this company? I think various iterations from working, you know, in the agency, working with banks to try and help them innovate to starting Society One, which was for me the 
the first iteration really of what you see Doe trying to do today. I think taking all those experiences and learnings have built me to this place of starting Doe to really solve this problem around helping customers manage and grow their money and, and change the business model of banking because the business model of banking, as we saw early on, is fundamentally geared towards getting people into debt and having them stay in debt. The, the business model is not conducive to helping customers get out of debt and build long-term wealth. And that was always my, it's been my lifelong pet peeve around how do you empower customers um, and give them the control, you know? Mm. And that's a, that's about profitability for banks in a sense, though, isn't it? I mean, it's giving people access to capital that they may not already have, but then people remaining in debt makes makes our banks more profitable exactly which, which is why we got the most profitable banks in the world you know um it's and this you know particularly australian obsession with um, bricks and mortar you know um it's uh you can see why the banks just really focus on on that side of the balance sheet it makes a lot of sense but i think now with emerging payments landscapes this shift to more responsible credit products you know it, it and, and business models are changing. They need to change uh, mm. to stay relevant uh, for this younger cohort coming up. Oh, so what is it that Doe does differently? I mean, you know, if, if as an Australian, I'm really interested in buying property and the way to do that, the path to buy property is by taking out a mortgage. I mean, you know, or, you know, by taking a personal loan for a car or, or whatever it might be. What is it that Doe is doing differently to try and encourage people to remain debt free? I think we're generally focused on trying to create better money habits and trying to change the relationship that some people have with their money, you know, which in some cases in the the customer base we're seeing in America, they're struggling, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They need help budgeting and saving from a very low base. And, And that for us has started with how do we help you get ahead of your bills, you know, um, so you're not constantly chasing your tail. So where we've seen a lot of focus and interest is around our JARS construct and how we use AI to help you build a plan and forecast ahead, um, prioritizing covering your bills uh, as the first port of call or even getting you to pay down debt. But as we're evolving now into more wealth management services, it's giving you access to investments that I think typically in the past have been reserved for the top 1% through big bankers democratizing that and giving you access from as little as a dollar to fractional share trading, you know, balanced managed portfolios um, and making that super easy. You know, it's never been easy and it's always been very expensive. Now we can um, make it accessible and all in the one place. And then it comes back to convenience. You know, all my money in one app is where we are going to um, and allowing you to move between the cryptocurrency world now in a traditional world seamlessly, you know. Mm. So, so with a, if, if I was to come on board the Doe app, which of course I can't be in Australia quite yet, but will be able to later on in the year, what would make me stay there? I think that's a really good question. It's something that we're digging into very deeply now because the Australian mindset is very different to the American one for a number of reasons. Where we're seeing, uh, I guess, the more affluent, uh, customer base is the convenience seems to be the driving factor. I really want to consolidate, have a single view and uh, move between fiat and crypto instantly. I think that the crypto component of where we're going with this with DeFi savings and 
I guess, decentralized finance in general is the emerging disruption that is happening to banking. And bridging those two worlds is exactly what we are doing. And I think you wouldn't see that from a traditional bank. And, and that, that gap will widen, I think. I don't think it will close. So why, why, why did you start in the, in the States, Andy? I mean, obviously, you're, you're Australian, but Australia-based. Mm. Your company's listed on the Australian share market. Why was your first foray into the States? Well, it's funny. The, the irony is we did start here. We, we were initially a project with Suncorp Bank that were looking to really be the pioneers of banking as a service model. I think what was core to our model is that we didn't want to become a bank. We, we wanted to become a platform and sit on top of custodians, in this case, the bank. Um, but uh, what we saw with Australia is it, it was quite early in the piece around banking as a service, whereas America was really evolving this model and specifically the size of the market. Also, the interchange regime on debit card transactions is far more uh, lucrative in America. So we made the hard decision to start there because of, um, I guess, the maturity of the market. But I think now Australia is very much ready for what we have done, which is why we're quite keen to come here now. So what is the time frame for launching in Australia? Yeah, look, really now we're really all in on the Australian launch and we're working to get this live in the next quarter. Um, how we take that to market is what we're now starting to test with some of our waitlist people um, in terms of feature prioritisation because what we want to make sure is that we have a, a very powerful product on day one. We know how brutal the media can be mm. um, in, in light of ANZ's recent um, launches. Uh, I, I I can see that Australia is that market. You need to get it right first time. Um, so um, we're going to be very methodical how we do that. Well, how does regulation um, look like in Australia versus where you are in the States? And, and is this a hindrance or helpful to you? It's it's pretty similar. I think the, the, the model we use with the banking partner is a, a renter charter model. So it is effectively the bank issuing the bank account. We're really just the front end of that and those are regulated pretty similarly you know we, we we offer the government guarantee on deposits in both the us and here but obviously provided by the adi um, and then we're transitioning our broker dealer relationship with our us custodian on the share trading side as well as the crypto side and extending that into australia both are regulated uh, in their local jurisdictions and and we also operate under our own afsl here as well which means we can offer brokerage services. So um, we're very reliant on our custodian partners as the regulated institutions. Mm. Now, you've, you mentioned AS, uh, ANZ just a moment ago, Andy. Competition is pretty, spe- uh, pretty fierce in, in fintechs overall um, in general. Do big banks have the ability to compete in this space, do you think? I mean, I, I think they have... The resources and the means, but I think what you're seeing and what's being proven is that it's very hard for them to do. Uh, and and we're talking a very basic banking proposition. When you bring in crypto and share trading, and you're starting to talk about disparate custodians and systems, how you bring that all together in one technology stack for a legacy bank is very very hard. Very very hard. Why is it so much harder? Do you think? I, I think it's because. These systems that they're operating on, you know, go back to the 80s in some cases, right? They've been so patchworked and band-aided together to keep them running. Legacy code bases, the systems are rusted. 
To keep those systems modern, one, you're relying on external vendors because typically these banks don't control their own destiny in terms of the tech stacks that they're generally licensing these systems that are not software houses. And I think in this day and age, you have to be a software company to compete and survive. This is why technology companies are, are winning. It, it's controlling your own tech stack, but then building it in a modern environment today and keeping that relevant requires patience and focus. And if you're coming from uh, a legacy state, you're never going to be able to catch up, you know, it, it, unless you literally start with a blank sheet of paper. And I'd say divorce yourself from that culture and that mothership uh, in a pure startup environment. And that's the benefit that fintechs have. You know, we're building with a blank sheet of paper. We have no hindrance on legacy. Mm. Yeah, it makes, makes a big difference getting those decisions through a lot faster. Yeah, you, you look, you have to make quick decisions, you know, mm. in this world and how quick it's moving. If you don't make a quick decision, you're dead. Mm. It's super critical. Now, you've just had a really exciting announcement, Andy. Um, you've had a big US investor, Longstate, coming on board to help with the funding facility. Take us through... Um, Take us through that announcement. Yeah, look, I think what's what's very important for us, especially in the current market environment, is having fundable, uh, flexible funding options. Um, obviously, you know, we're a technology business that's looking to get to economies of scale. So making sure we have access to the right funding that's, you know, less dilutive to shareholders that we can be opportunistic on how we use it um, was really important. So long stay is just one piece of that jigsaw. Um, it gives us flexibility as we go forward. And we're certainly on the lookout for more strategic investors that can not only give us capital, but access to customer bases and capabilities as well as we look to scale. So it's a really good start. Mm. Mm. Now, Andy, you, you talked about share trading. You talked about um, cryptocurrencies uh, as well. And, and you're going to offer a crypto deposit product product um, this year, both in, in the US and when you launch in, in Australia as well. Um, talk to us about the importance of crypto and how that fits into your overall, your longer term growth strategy. Yeah, look, it's it's central, really. Um, you, you know, we've got pretty firm views on, on where this is going. Cryptocurrency, uh, decentralized finance in terms of, you know, borrowing and lending capabilities is is completely disrupting the current model as we know it. So I think what's really important for us is how do you simplify that for the everyday Australian and give them access to it um, and educate them along that journey. And I think starting with the buy, hold and sell of cryptocurrencies in a responsible way is a nice starting point to transitioning into more high yield savings products with DeFi uh, and eventually lending products as well off that protocol. So you know, ultimately, we transition to become a full platform that spans traditional and decentralized finance uh, in a very short space of time. So when you're talking about cryptos, are you talking about specific cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin versus Ethereum or is it is it much more than that? Yeah, so we're, we're going to be launching with five of the top coins initially, but, um, you know, expanding that out to uh, I think about 25 over the next six months. Um, so specifically day one, we're talking about crypto and the concepts of assets, you know, uh, investing in Bitcoin uh, is the key message with a buy and hold strategy as a small piece of your overall investment portfolio. But I think as that transitions into uh, looking at crypto as a currency that you can spend with, uh, we've actually built it in a way that the Doe debit card, should you choose, 
you could switch to paying for items with Bitcoin as opposed to Australian dollars. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, you're suddenly building that financial hub that when uh, eventually people start to be paid in cryptocurrency, uh, which I think is starting to happen, you know, as many employers now given the option to pay in Bitcoin, for example, mm. and crypto becomes a true currency. And obviously the Australian dollar becomes uh, tokenized as well. This is where it gets really, really interesting, where you want to become the wallet uh, and the wallet takes over from the bank account. Mm. Okay, okay. How does that work? For all of those who aren't that familiar <laughs> with cryptocurrencies, Andy, uh, take a step back for us on that. Yeah, so look, ultimately, the, at the core of the platform now is we're issuing a bank account and debit card. With, with, with the introduction of the cryptocurrency capabilities, we're now bringing a digital wallet alongside that bank account that are effectively totally integrated. You can move dollars into the wallet instantly and seamlessly um, with us converting in the background. So having a wallet and the bank account in the one app gives you a lot more flexibility over the long term. So you hold your Bitcoin in your wallet, you hold your Australian dollars in your bank account, and and we bridge those two worlds. Mm, mm. Now, talk me through your, uh, your balance sheet uh, at the moment, Andy. You did a placement uh, at the end of end of 2021 of course we just talked about your your capital insert um that's coming from your us your american investor at the end of the year you did report a loss have you got any insight as to when you will be writing a profit look i think our focus right now is a path to unit profitability um uh, and that comes with scale but obviously as as a growth company we're investing to grow now to get to that economies of scale to unlock the margin opportunity, which which really comes with volume, and and you know that that will take a bit longer. Uh, so we've got a strong balance sheet to get there. Um, we're obviously still investing heavily in R and D, and we'll continue to to build out the product and the value proposition. Because as you said, it's a very competitive market, changing every day. You need to be constantly investing in the product to make sure you're always one step ahead. Um, so there's a there's there's a long way to go on the product. Um, but what's great about this from an investor's point of view is getting into the grassroots before we start to get to that point of economies of scale and look to commercialize the platform in other markets over time, hopefully with partners that can bring customer bases as well, is where we want to be. And this is where the enterprise opportunity for us becomes quite interesting now based on the tech stack that we've built. It's talking to partners that want access not only to a challenge brand and a and a capability uh, as opposed to building that themselves and investing a lot more money to do that. Mm. It's going to be an exciting year for you, uh, 2022. Um, your customer numbers, are, of course, are increasing. You're launching in Australia. What are the main highlights we should watch out for? I think crypto launch in the US is, is the next one. We're, we're very close now. And then um, it'll be straight into um, putting some timings around the AU rollout um, which is really now our focus. We, we know the need to launch here. The time is right. We're quite excited about it. So, you know, watch this space. Excellent. Andy, such a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us here on Stock Insiders. Thanks for having me. And, of course, thanks also to all of our listeners for joining us today. I'm Aurel Morrison. Catch you next time. The 
This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.